This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right. So we have this new little program going on, which um, we're very happy that you're here. Let me see my announcements. I don't like, the reason I'm not standing up there is because I don't like to look down at people. I don't like to look at people evenly. So it says here, um, okay, let's see what it says here. Torah Arts Girls and Ladies Program. Tuesday morning, December 11th. Uh, at 9.30 they have a breakfast with a half a day seminary Mrs. Rachel Silber and Mrs. Amit Yagubi and Rabbi Kohan and Tuesday evening December 18th oh she's a superstar um, starting at 8pm Mrs. Jackie Bitone I don't know if you've ever heard her Mashahu um, join Gmail at dot com to get emails for events like these okay so I, I know that Rabbi Kohan right Rabbi Kohan runs the seminary and that he's very much very into getting an Ornava, what we have in Brooklyn, to start that here in Great Neck. So um, we have Baruch Hashem, almost three thousand women in Ornava. We started with sixteen, and um, I know there's a lot of women here in Great Neck, and you should bring your friends and um, start an Ornava here, where girls can come and can learn and can. We have kickboxing, we have yoga and art, and music, and it would be a very beautiful thing if the girls of Great Neck could start something like that. All right, anyway, Rabbi Skase is going to speak after me in about 45 minutes. He's an amazing speaker. I don't think he ever spoke here in Great Neck. He's a big rock guitarist, um, big musician. He's been playing music for a very long time. He's, he's, but I have to tell you that he will look down at you, because he's about 6'4". <laughs> he's much taller. Um, but he, he'll be here mid in about 9.15. Okay. So, I want to, I, I heard the guys are a little bit upset. Usually I come here, speak to Rabbi in the shul, and I speak to boys and girls. And the guys were like, what is this Rabbi Walsh? coming just to talk to girls? And I'm like, yeah, I'm coming just to talk to girls. So, I hope that you'll enjoy what I have to say. This week's parsha. we'll talk a little bit about Hanukkah. We're also going to talk about this week's parsha. This week's parsha is parsha's Vayeshev. Now, Vayeshev means to settle. Yaakov Avinu decided after Esav and um, the story with Dina and being by Lavan and going through all these hard times that it's time to go to Florida, sit in the sun and chill. But he was going to do that not in Florida, he was going to do that in Eretz Yisrael. Vayeshev Yaakov. Yaakov said, I went through a lot and now... It's time for me to sit and learn and relax. His, his wife died. Rachel Imenu died. Dina went through a very hard time. And he, he went through a hard, very hard life with Esau and Lavan. And he wanted to relax and to shep nachas. To enjoy his family, his children, and his grandchildren. But just when you think that you could chill... And it's time to relax. And God says, no, you are not in this world to relax. You need to relax sometimes to give you the energy to go on. Um, but that's not why you're here. So the Pasuk begins, sort of at your point in your life where you want to take it easy. But the, the rest of the parasha is not at all relaxed. And we know that he had a son, Yosef, that he loved very, very much. And he sent him to see what the, his brothers were doing. His brothers, the twelve, the eleven Shvatim, and they were they were shepherds. So they didn't like him very much. We're not going to get into that tonight. But Yosef was one of the youngest, and he had dreams. And in his dreams, um, there's a very cute, a very cute rabbi joke. Um, if you if you look at his dream, the fo- this was his following dream. He had. Uh, he had two dreams. One dream was that they were a bunch of bundles, and his bundle stood by itself, and all the other bundles bowed down to him. Okay? Fine. Then, he had another dream, and he said, there was a sun and a moon. In his dream, he saw the sun and a moon, and eleven stars, and they all bowed down to him. What His translation was that the sun was his father, Yaakov, the moon was Leah, because Rachel wasn't alive anymore. And his 11 brothers were the stars. And they all bowed down to him like he was the king. 
Now, you don't want to hear that if you're an older brother that I bow down to you. So, they were not very happy with that. But there's a question. And the question is, he had 11 brothers, but he also had a sister. And her name was Dina. Right? He had a sister, Dina. How come Dina was not in the dream? 11 brothers were the stars. The sun was his father. The moon was his mother. And where is Dina? There should have been 12 stars. His 11 brothers and his sister. How come he didn't dream that she bowed down to him? It's a rabbi's joke, but we'll see. So, what happened in last week's parasha is that Dina was attacked by Shem against her will. She became pregnant from that attack. And she had a little baby girl. And that baby girl was Osnas, called Osnas Patpoitifera, who later Yaakov married. What? I'm sorry, Yosef married. So Yosef married the daughter of Dina, which makes Dina what to Yosef? His mother-in-law. Even in a dream, your mother-in-law is not going to bow down to you. Okay, you can repeat that on Shabbos. All right. Anyway, so so they were not... It's not a bad... For a rabbi joke, it's not bad. Usually our jokes are really bad. That's not a bad joke. Anyway, so they were not so happy with him. And he came to see how they were doing. And these brothers got together and they said, we're going to take him and we're going to throw him into a pit... And they thought that in that pit were snakes and scorpions and they're going to kill him and we're going to be done with this Yosef who walks around saying that everyone's going to bow down to me. That's pretty dysfunctional. Getting tossed into a pit by your own siblings. Right? Today, anyone that that would happen to would be on heavy medication in deep therapy Right for a very long time. Can you imagine your brother? Now, some of you are saying, "Yeah, my brother could do that." But could you imagine that your brothers would try to kill you, your own your own flesh and blood? Right? It's very hard to take. So they took this gentle boy, very pretty, good-looking boy. Yosef Atzadik was very, very good-looking, and they threw him. He was never out in the fields. He was always by his father, and they threw him into a pit that was twenty feet deep, ten almost deep, twenty feet deep. What they thought was full of scorpions and snakes. And the Medrash says there were snakes and scorpions. But the snake is not what kills you. It's your Averis. And being that Yosef never did an Avera, the snakes stayed away from him. And the scorpions stayed away from him. But they tried to kill him. And then, he didn't die. So they decided, okay, he didn't die. Now we're going to sell him. As an Evet, as a servant. Imagine your brothers and sisters or whatever takes you and sells you to the West Indies, never to be seen again. So he has gone through a lot of dysfunction here. They try to kill him, and now they try to sell him. And who do they sell him to? A bunch of Midianim, a bunch of traveling people in the desert. And they go ahead and they go to Egypt and they put him on the slave block to sell him. Who buys him? The lowest of the low that you can imagine in the lowest, the village, right, in Manhattan, right, the, the, the Mitzrayim, Egypt, was worse than the village. They were deep, deep into homosexuality. They were deep, deep into immorality. They were deep, deep into Avodah They were on the 49th level of Tumah. It's not like they sold him to Miami. They sold him to the lowest of the low of the low. They sold him to the village. In the city. Potiphar, says Rashi, bought him to be his boy. Not to work for him. Not to be a servant in a house. But Potiphar, says Rashi, was gay. So he bought Yosef because he was so beautiful. Because he wanted him to be his boy. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is you have to understand. You're taking a 17-year-old boy who sat and learnt with his father, Yaakov Avinu, for those 17 years. Didn't have internet, didn't have Facebook, didn't have TVs, didn't have movies, didn't have a cell phone. Knew nothing about the outside world, knew nothing about immorality. 
And they took this kid from such a holy, holy place. And they tried to kill him. And it didn't work. So they sold him. And who bought him? The lowest of the low. Total culture shock. You, you, you can't even imagine taking a Hasidish kid out of yeshiva from, from Masha Arim and dropping him in the village of New York or in Paris. Shock. And they put him into Potiphar's house. And Potiphar sees that this Jewish kid, whatever he touches, whatever he does in the house, there seems to be a, an unbelievable blessing from God. His whole household changes from the day that Yosef HaTzadik walks in. So I'm setting this up so that everybody in this room can understand the test that this boy went through. So let's see what happens. So they come to they they come back to um, they come back to Yaakov the brothers and Yaakov says, "Where's my son? Where, where is Yosef?" So the brothers never said that any that that, that that he was killed. What they did is they took his coat, his sinus possum, and a very beautiful coat that was made for him, um, and they dipped it in the blood of a goat. And when the father asked, "Where's my son?" they took the coat with the blood. And they threw it in front of him. And Yaakov said, Taraf, Taraf, Yosef. Oh my gosh, my son was ripped apart by, you know, they had wolves and animals at that time. He's ripped apart by wild animals. They never said that he was killed or sold or anything. They just threw the evidence out like that so that that's what Yaakov thought. Yaakov thought that his son was ripped to pieces. And the Pusik says something very interesting. He refused to be consoled. He kept crying. He said, don't come. Be Menachem on me. Don't tell me. It's Pashat. Listen, you know, God knows what he's doing. And like when you go to, to visit someone who just lost somebody, what do we always tell them? They're in a better place. Yaakov's like, I don't want to hear any of that. Don't come to me and comfort me. And everybody asks the question, what do you mean? You're the biggest tzaddik in the world. You're Yaakov Avinu. If anybody in the world should have said, it's Bashert, Yosef's in Gan Eden, he's in a better place, whatever Hashem does is for the best, Hashem never puts you through a test you can't take, he's the one that should have said that. He said, don't talk to me. I will not be consoled. What's going on over here? He should have told them, okay, it's Bashert. For Hashem wants, I'm sure... Shemayim, he's better. No, he said, don't come to me and console me. It's a very big question. Why not? Why didn't he say, I accept it? He said, I don't accept it. We'll get to that. Okay. So, he goes down to Mitzrayim, and it says the following. When Yosef heard Mitzrayim, he went down to Mitzrayim, and it also means he went down in level of Kedusha, and Potiphar bought him, and everything was... Going very good. And then the passage says the following. He was Yifas Toyava Yifas Mara. Yosef was very, very beautiful. And it says that Yosef looked exactly like his father. He looked exactly like Yaakov Avinu, who was very beautiful. And the Zohar says that Yaakov Avinu had the Neshama, the Gilgal of Adam Harisham. And Adam Harisham was the most beautiful man that ever lived because Adam Harisham was formed with God's hands. And Chava was the most beautiful woman because this was, these were the two human beings that were actually formed, not by the nature that Hashem put in the world, but He actually formed them. And if God is going to be a sculpture and create a human being, and He's a sculpture, then that human being is going to be perfect. And Yaakov was a Gilgal of that, and Yosef looked exactly like Yaakov. So the Torah tells us only by a few people that the Torah tells, also by Rachel Imenu, that he was Yifas Toya Yifas Mara. He was very, very good looking and he knew it. And he knew it. But he Achaz Rashi says, he used to brush his hair, he used to look in the mirror. And, Vatisa Eishas Adonov Ezeinel Yosef, Vatayva Shechrimi. So Potifa's wife, who had no relationship, physical relationship with Potifa, because of who he was, she put her eyes on Yosef HaTzadik. 
And she said, be with me. And Yosef refused. He said, no. Now, the only other place it says Vayimain in this week's parasha is where it says Vayimain Yaakov lehisnachen. Yaakov refused to be comforted, and this is another Vayimain. Vayimain and Yosef refused to be with her. On this word, if you look in a Chumash, so when the when the person who reads the Torah on Shabbos reads the Torah, it's like a song, right? It's he, he reads. I know the Svadim read a little different Ashkenazim, but it's it's not read straight. Moshe. It's like a song. Part of that song is. There's actually vowels, there's actually musical notes on every single letter in the Torah. How to read it. The musical note on the word Vayimayin here by Yosef is what's called a shalshelas. It looks like a corkscrew. And when, when he reads it in the Torah, it's three times. It's like Vayimayin. That's a, that's a shalshelas. So what, the reason that that word is on there is to tell everyone when you're reading it that he refused three times. He didn't just refuse, he refused three times. But a shalshelis, what does a shalshelis mean in English? Shalshelis is a chain. This Vayimain has a chain connected to the other Vayimain. How did Yosef refuse? Now let me just tell you a little bit about Potiphar's wife. The Chida, who brings down from the Zayar, says that Potiphar's wife was the Satan. And had she gotten Yosef to sin, because he was, you saw, he was the foundation of morality, she would have broke the foundation of morality, and the world would have been destroyed at that point. So, she was extremely beautiful. Because if the Satan is going to change himself into a woman, he knows exactly what to look like. So it says... Where did Joseph have the power to say no? And the answer is a beautiful answer. These two Vayimains are connected by a chain, by a shalshelis. Why did Yaakov say, I will not be consoled? Because Yaakov said, for 17 years, I went with this child. I put everything I had into him. He treated Joseph like he was his firstborn. He was his firstborn from Rachel, from Rachel. He said, I put everything into this child until you bring me a dead body. Until I see Yosef, a dead body, I'm not going to give up on something I worked for 17 years. So you can bring me a coat, and you can bring me blood, and you can tell me stories. But I put so much into this boy, until you bring me a body, by your mindless nachem, I refuse to give up on my son. Yosef Hatzadik in his soul knew that he had a father who would never give up on him. Even though his brothers tried to kill him and his brothers sold him. And he's now with the most gorgeous woman in the world far away. No one's going to know that he did the sin. And why should he be good? His own brothers, who are considered shvatim, tzaddikim, they try to kill me. Why should I be good? Here I am, in Mitzrayim, the most beautiful woman in the world. Why shouldn't I sin? Nobody will ever know about it. And his answer was, my refusal, my vayimayim, is connected to my father's vayimayim. My father doesn't give up on me until he sees a dead body I will not give up on me until I am a dead body and that's the connection between the, the two Vayimayans and the Chidah takes it a lot deeper and he says that all of us no matter what we go through in life and everybody goes through stuff in life Everybody, whether it's the loss of someone you love, whether it's challenges at home, whether it's dysfunction, whether it's a tough marriage, whether it's a tough making a living, whether it's it's a bad relationship with a kid or a kid with a or being a kid and with a teacher, everybody goes through stuff. Rabbi Wallstein went through stuff, and everybody goes through stuff. 
But there's a God in heaven who's your father, who's one of the three partners in you. You have a father and a physical father and a physical mother. And they give you your genetics. But your soul comes from God. And he's the father of your soul. And he will never, ever give up until you bring me a dead body. Until the person's dead, God waits, says the Mishnah, to the last second of a person's life for that person to come back to him and to ask forgiveness and to say, Ain't old Movado, there's no one else but you, God. He waits to the last second and he says to the Satan, You're bringing me that she did this and you're bringing me that she did that and you're bringing me all the stuff she did. She's still alive. Until she's dead, I don't give up. And every Jewish person needs to know in their soul that if God refuses to give up on me, even though all the stuff I've done, then how could I give up on me? And that's what Rashi and all the Mepharshim say. That at the last second, when he wanted to sin with her, he saw Dikun al Aviv. He saw the picture of his father. And he said, how could I do this? He did not give up on me. How could I give up on me? And the Chidah says, come on, what is this, a television show? He got up to close the window, or open the window, and he looked at the, in the glass, and there was a form of his father looking at him saying, I'm watching, better not do this. Chidah says something unbelievable. Chidah says that he looked physically like his father. So when he looked in the window to open it up, in the reflection, he saw himself. But he looked exactly like his father. So at the same time he saw himself, he saw his father. And that moment was the moment that saved him when he ran out of the room. Every human being is created with Salam Alakim in the form of God. And when you look in the mirror and you look at that face and you look at those eyes and you look at that person in the mirror, you are looking at God. Because we're all created in the form of God. That's why most of our parents think they're God. No, I'm kidding. But but you're looking you're looking at a Baruch Hu. And that's the Kuno Shalaviv. And you're like, what am I about to do? What what channel am I about to watch? What am, what am I about to look at? What pictures am I about to look at? What, what music am I about to listen to? My father's Hashem. I'm created in his form. Look in the mirror. Look at the person in the mirror. I'm part of God. The kunal shalavim. Now you mind. I refuse. I refuse to lower myself to this. He doesn't give up on me until the last second of my life. And I'm walking around depressed. And I, I gave up. Listen, I, I did so many bad things. You know, the Yitzhah tells you, you did so many bad things. Chuba's not going to help you. If you're good, you're such a goody-goody, one bad thing won't help you. No matter how you are, he's got you coming and going. If you're good, so you're so good, one bad thing's not bad. If you're bad, you're so bad, one, it's, it's not, it's not going to help. He's got you coming and going. At that moment, Yosef Atzadik looked in the window and he saw himself. But through himself, he saw his father. And he said, what am I doing in this room with this woman? And he ran out. And I want you to listen to the words. The words in the Torah. And you have to remember, the reason I told you, remember, he had every excuse to say, you know, people say, I, I, I mean, I'm in business and sometimes I meet these people and they're not religious and they married non-Jews and I'm like, hey, you went to Yeshiva, like, what happened to you? And they're like, oh, my Rebbe slapped me, man. You know? My parents, my father was ultra-religious. He used to smack me around. I, I, I'm done. I walked out of it. What is this man going to do when he comes to Shemayim and he's going to say, of course I walked out of Jewish religion. My father slapped me around. My rabbi slapped me around. They embarrassed me in shul. Hashem is going to say, really? Yosef, come here. Yeah, yeah, Gamora says it. Yosef, come here. You hear this guy's excuse? What do you have to say? He's going to say, really? You Rebbe hit you? Your father hit you? You got embarrassed in shul? My brothers tried to murder me. Then they sold me to a gay guy. To the worst place in the world. And I married a Jew. And I kept the Torah and all the mitzvahs. In the worst place in the land. 
And that person's excuse will just fall by the wayside. And another guy's going to say, Hey, God, not my fault. You created me this gorgeous looking guy with a Maserati. All the girls are all bothering me all the time. Not my fault. If you would, if I wouldn't have been such good, good looking, and I wouldn't have had such beautiful hair, and I wouldn't have had such a gorgeous car, and all that money, girls wouldn't have ran after me. I would have been fine. And Hashem said, "You really think you're good looking? It's about time to come out here. Seriously, were you better looking than him? Did you have more money than him? Became king of Egypt." Did he sin? What's your excuse? So Yetzir Tzaddik was a very big Tzaddik, but on the other hand, he takes away a lot of excuses from a lot of people because he suffered terribly and he passed his test and it was very hard. And what helped him pass his test was that in the end of the day, he just refused to give up on himself. And this is not, ladies and, and girls, this is not just a test in Judaism and immorality or morality it's a test in life if you give up on yourself you can't go anywhere you can never ever give up on yourself no matter what you're going through you can never ever give up on yourself you know why? because someone much greater and bigger than you is not giving up on you then how could you give up on yourself? God says till the last second I'm waiting for you no matter what you did, no matter what kind of sinner you were, to the last second, I am waiting. As long as you're alive, I am waiting for you to come back to me. Just give me a hug. Just walk out of your house and look up to Shemayim and say, God, I know you're there. Ain oid movado. There's nothing else but you. I annoyed someone very much tonight. There's a big meeting in, in New York and all the politicians are there and they're trying to raise money for Seagate and for Rockaway and all the places. I don't know what happened to Great Neck, but exactly water-wise, but from the hurricane and they were telling me, you know, you should have been there. I'm like, why? Because, because the politicians and the most powerful people were there and, you know, you need money for Ornava and all the things you do. And if you would have been there, you could have talked to them and, and they're going to help you and they're the most powerful politicians. And, and they asked me if I know this certain name and I'm like, no. And like, he's the most powerful in the world. And I'm like, what are you talking about? God's the most powerful of them all. Ain Oid Ravano. There's no politicians besides him. There's no doctors besides him. There's no bankers besides him. There's no plastic surgeons besides him. There's no one else but him. Everybody else works for him. Why would I want to talk to the people who work for him if he lets me talk to him? Right? Mr. Namati has a store. If I need something in his store, why would I talk to his worker? If I know the boss, I'll go right to him. He's my friend. He, he owns the store. He can make things happen that his salespeople can't make happen. So, why wouldn't I go directly to Hashem? He's the boss. They all work for him. And this person's on the other phone like, oh, come on! Well, you don't go to politicians. I'm like, no. No, I don't believe in politicians. Because the minute they don't need you, they drop you. Because Bochel doesn't drop you. This Pasha is a huge Pasha. This struggle of Yosef HaTzadik is what I call spiritual DNA. Last week's Pasha, huge struggle. Yaakov Avinu and the angel. Huge struggle between the two of them. Yaakov won. This week's Pasha, guess what? His kid. Huge struggle. How, how did Yosef win? Because Yaakov won. Spiritual DNA. If you're able to break a midah, to step up in a test, your kids won't even know why that when they come through that test, they're going to be like, I'm not interested. And the other girls are like, what do you mean not interested? We're all interested. Why aren't you interested? She's like, I don't know. I don't want to go there. I'm not interested. What do you mean you don't want? I don't know. Because her mother, 40 years ago, had the same test to go somewhere she shouldn't. And she wanted to go, and she fought it, and she didn't go. Spiritual DNA goes to this kid. She doesn't even know why she doesn't want to go, because her mother passed the test. Yaakov Avino last week had a huge test. He passed it. He gave the ability for his son to. So if you think that when you do something, and you're able to pass a test, it's just about you, it's not. It's about your children, and their children, and their children. That's called spiritual DNA. I'm in the middle of writing a book on it. 
Mitzvah Hashem. I hope by the end of the year. It's amazing. Because the physical, the, the Zohar talks about the physical world and the spiritual world. They, they mirror each other. In the physical world, we know DNA, the color of your hair, the color of your eyes, how tall you are, how short you are. Even diseases, they'll ask you, did, you, did your parents die from this disease? What do you care if my parents died from this disease? What do they do with me? Because if they did, then you're more apt to get it. Spiritual DNA is very important. But there's also spiritual, there's also spiritual DNA that mirrors the same thing from your parents. And, and if they don't have shalom bias, then even though you think, well, my parents don't have shalom bias, so I'm going to be just the opposite. I'm going to be the best shalom bias. No, it becomes a very big struggle. It's spiritual DNA. And we see that Avraham Avinu, it says if you find a Jew that has no pity, he's not Jewish. Go into his generations, you'll find somehow one of his grandmothers is not Jewish. How can you make a statement like that? How can you make a statement like that? And the answer is that Avraham Avinu had the spiritual DNA that he was giving me less chesed. If you are a Jew, you have that DNA marker in you. If you don't have that DNA marker in you, somebody from your maternal side was not Jewish. So we have this spiritual DNA. So last week's parasha, huge fight. The angel of Esau, the Satan, against Yaakov. Yaakov wins. Really? Yaakov wins? Now we can send Yosef into such a fight. If his father would have lost, Yosef cannot win. So let's go further. So what happens? Yosef makes a big mistake. First of all, he talks to her. And he says to her, by your mind, he refuses. And he says, How could I do this? How could I be with you when my master gave me the power to run the house? That's when he really ran into trouble. There's no one greater than me in this house. When he said that, the Sultan ran to Hashem and said, did you hear what Yosef just said? He said there's no one greater than him in the house. He thinks he's greater than you. He made a huge mistake when he said that. And he said, and the only thing I'm not allowed to have in this house is you. How could I do such a terrible thing? I'm going to, it's going to be a sin to God. Not to your husband. I'll tell you what happened. So, he came to her and he said the following. There are two reasons I can't be with you. One, you're married. You're an Ashish. I don't commit adultery. I'm a Jewish boy. Two, you're a guy. You're not Jewish. I can't be with a non-Jew. Once you give a reason for what you're not going to do, Yitzhahara is going to try to twist that reason. So what happened? She was a sorcerer. She came from the Satan. She was no stupid woman. She said to Yosef, is that why you're not with me? You don't want to be physically with me? Yes. You're married and you're not Jewish. She said, okay, if I answer up these two questions, we're good to go? He said, how are you going to answer up these two questions? She said, first of all, in, in the non-Jewish world, how do a man and a woman get married? They have to be physically together. That's how they consummate their marriage. The Jewish, we look at a marriage by non-Jews, the consummation is not a ring, the consummation is not a shtar, a consummation is physically the two of them are together. She said, you know my husband is gay. So I've never been physically with my husband. Therefore, according to Jewish law, I'm not married to him. So your first reason of adultery that I'm a married woman, according to your own law, I'm not a married woman. That's number one. She said number two, about marrying a Jew or non-Jew, she said, they, what they used to do for magic, sorcery, they used to read the stars. They were stargazers. Yosef HaTzadik was taught by Yaakov how to read the stars. She was in a, a very professional mm-hmm. stargazer. She said to Yosef, let's look at the stars. The stars are put together by God. Let's see what the stars say about the two of us. So she took him outside and they looked at the stars. And you know what the stars said? That from her and Yosef are going to come two great Jewish tribes. Ephraim and Manasseh. It was clear in the stars that from the two of them was coming two 
Jewish tribe. She said, you see that God wants you to marry me. Yosef was stuck. Because his two reasons of a married woman and that God doesn't want me to be with a non-Jew just got blown out of the water. What is he going to do? So he turned to her. It's an unbelievable measure. So the, the measure says that they actually went into a room together and they were actually, she had at the end of her bed, the end of her bed, she had the head of an Avoy de Zara, of a, of a, and she said to Yosef, we can't do this in a bed where my, my God is watching. So she took a sheet and she covered the Avoy de Zara. And when she did that, Yosef said to her, we have a big problem. She said, what? He said, my God, there is no sheet big enough to cover. It's a famous medrash. And he turned to her and he said, very fascinating what he said. In the end of the day, he said, you're right. You're right. You're not married. You're not, you're not married in Jewish law. And I saw the stars, and the stars say that these two, by the way, how did the two Jewish nations come from them? She adopted Osnas, and when you adopt a child, it's like your child. And Osnas married Yosef. So from Potiphar's wife, being that she was the adopted mother of Osnas, came Ephraim and Manasseh. But not through her, through the daughter Osnas. So it, the stars were telling the truth, but not the way she was reading it. It was coming through her, but not through her. Through her daughter, Osnas Potiphar, who he ended up marrying. So what did Yosef Atzadik say at the end? He said to her, I hear everything you're saying. It all makes sense. But for Chatosi Lelokim, God doesn't want me to be with you. It just, it's just wrong. Why is it wrong? You ready for this? Because it's a, a kafui toiv. Your husband, whatever he is, right? But he's your husband. But in Jewish law, he's not your husband when it comes to physical relations, but he's your husband. The man of the house. I'm his servant. And he gave me everything in the house. How, how could I go behind his back and, and be with his wife? It's, it's just not appreciation. God's world runs on Hakaras Hatov, appreciating. So no matter what you're going to tell me, Ephraim and Manasseh, you're not married, everything you're going to tell me. But the end of the day, is this something God wants me to do? Behind the master of the house's back? Be with his wife? No. And he ran out of the room. I want to tell you a story. And, and this is the Yetzirah. We all have the Yetzirah. You could do the worst thing in the world, but he will make it right. Somebody could ask you a shidduch about a girl, and you're going to talk so nasty about her because you're really jealous of her, but that's not why you, that's, you're going to say, I'm not jealous of her, but you know, I have to tell them all the truth. MS! Half the time in her life she lies about everything else, but all of a sudden now she's a Tadeka stuff because she doesn't want this guy to go out with this girl because she wanted to go out with him. So she's like, oh, I gotta tell you the MS! You know? She got kicked out of school when she was in 11th grade, and she's snotty, and she's this, and she's that, and you go home and they're like, oh my god, this girl just broke a whole shidduch, right? And then, well, Emma, I'm a Tadeka star, I had to tell the MS why he should get stuck with her, but really he did it. If you go inside yourself, you really did it. Because you don't like her. So we do a lot of things wrong. And then we make it into like a mitzvah. For sure not an Avera. I had to, I had to, I had to. I had to tell all the teachers what she's like, you know. Why'd you have to? Because she's prettier than me. So, you know, you to make sure nobody else likes her. No, 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 I did it because they have to know. They have to know what the kids like. Every single day we do this. We draw our lines and one guy... One girl came to me once. This is the craziest thing I ever heard in my life. She came to me, so I was giving a class in Shemini Gia. So she comes to me after the class. She goes, you know, I'm going out with this boy. And he told me, this is, this is going to sound very funny to you, but she, she fell for this. He told me that his rabbi told him that if you wear gloves, then it's like you're Shemini Gia. I'm like, you're making a joke. She goes, no, no. He's, he told me, his rabbi said that, that if you wear gloves, then you're Shemini Gia. I'm like, come on. He sold that to you? She said, yeah. And, and she really meant it. She, she really didn't know. She said, I'm like, this guy is a religious guy. He used his rabbi, which is a law, and he made such a story 
Yeah, this guy went home, and in his head, I'm shabri gear. I was wearing gloves. We can get so crazy. We could steal. We could do the worst things. How many people I know that had affairs because the woman, she was lonely, her marriage was miserable. Rabbi, I saved her life. She was ready to kill herself. I said, you saved her life? You killed her life in the next world. You destroyed her. What are you talking about? What do you mean? She was so depressed. I'm like, so she's depressed. Let me go to psychologist. Having a fear? That's what, that's what, the, is that what Hashem wants? So we have this way of twisting things. The worst things that we could do. I did it with Shem Shemaya. There's no better line in the world that the, war, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It is the most true line in the whole world. The whole road to Gehenna. I did it with Shema. Look at the Arabs. They blow themselves up. They say, Al-Akbar. They don't say I'm doing something wrong. They say, I am doing this for God. I'm killing little children. They're all over the street. Parts of them all over the street. Buses. 85 people dead. And the guy's walking around. I did this for God. What are you, nuts? You did it for God? And the answer is, yes, and he'll do it again. It's the power of the Yitzhahara. This was the war between Yosef, which is Yisoyed, and the Satan, which is this beautiful woman telling this guy all kinds of stories. And she even told him, I understand you're Jewish, and you don't want to do anything with me? Just lay in the bed next to me. So Tyrus says, just lay in the bed next to me. He said, no, no, you're not fooling me. That's not what you want. She tried every thing that you could. She was the Yitzhahara. So what happened? In the end, when he ran out, she grabbed his clothing. She grabbed his jacket. And he let go of it, and he ran away, and she, she held onto his jacket. What does that mean? We need to know in the Torah what she grabbed his jacket, his socks, his shoes, who cares? What does that have to do with anything? What is this telling us? It's very, very, very deep. Listen carefully. But the Shayo Bivigdai, she grabbed him by his jacket, Lema, and she said, Shikhva Imi, lay with me. Now listen to what happened. Everyone thinks he ran out and she held on to the jacket, so she ripped it off him. No. Payazov Bigdo Biyada. He took it off. And he left it in her hands. He said, here, you want my jacket? Here's my jacket. Vayanas, and he ran. and he ran outside. Vayihi, and it was, Kiroisa, when she saw, Kioza Bigda Biyada, Vayanas Achutza, when she saw that he left his jacket in her hand, ah, she called everybody, he he attacked me, he tried to hurt me, put him in jail. That's, how does this plastic make sense to you? Because he left his jacket in her hand, that's why she called everybody? That's not why she called everybody. Why all of a sudden, when he took his jacket, he said, hey, you want? Here's my jacket. Bye. All of a sudden she realized, I will never, ever get him. And if I'm not going to get him, no one's going to get him. And she started screaming, a Jew, he came to attack me. She started going crazy. What's, what ignited that? That he gave her his jacket? That ignited that reaction? What's going on over here? So the Zaire says, the Satan can't get any of us by our soul. Our soul is a fire. Every person here that's sitting here, your soul is a fire. The Satan cannot touch your soul. He cannot touch your soul. So how does he get you? He gets you with your goof, with your body, with your materialistic things. We call that your clothing. The clothing of your soul is all the materialistic things in the world. Not the spiritual things. Yosef Atzadik was beautiful. He brushed his hair. He looked in the mirror. He put on nice clothing. And he realized at the end when he was right about to do the worst sin of his life that this woman got to him through all the materialistic things that he had. So he turned to the Yetzirah who was Potiphar's wife and he said, you want my physical world? It is yours. I am no longer going to brush my hair and get dressed nicely. Here, you want it? You can have it. And his soul ran out. And she realized, the something realized, if I don't have anything physical to grab, I will never get him. 
And that's when she, when the, she started to scream, this Jew, he came to attack me, put him in jail, put him to death. All of a sudden she woke up, because the Yetzirah realizes that if you disconnect from your materialism, you can't touch your soul. But the scary part is that the Pusik says that she took his clothing, and what did she do with it? Batanach bigdoy etzla ad bo adenov obeso. She took his clothing, put it next to her until her master came home. This plastic doesn't belong here, doesn't make a difference, doesn't change the story. Why does any of us need to know that she took his jacket and put it down in a place until her husband came home? Who cares? It's a very scary pasuk. And the Chidah says that this is talking about the Yetzirah. And the Yetzirah said that I will own the Jew's beged, his clothing, his gashmias, his physical world. I will own the Jew's physical world until the Master comes home, until Mashiach comes. Until Mashiach comes, I will always be able to fight with the Jews through their materialistic, to what they own. So Vatanach, he put it next to him, and he said, until the Master comes home, your materialism belongs to me. Vakachaya. That's where we struggle. We struggle with all the extra stuff that we have. The money, the clothing, the culture, the music, the what's in, what's out. We struggle with it. It runs our world. It runs our world. And the Yetzirah told, I will have this until Mashiach comes. When Mashiach comes, I will no longer own your materialistic world. But until then, I will own your world. And the only way that you can be saved is if you run away from it. Now I'm not telling you you don't have to dress nicely and I'm not telling you you don't have to have a, a nice car. There's nothing wrong with that. But when that becomes important, that's what's wrong. I've given this speech many times and people say to me, Wallstein, I saw the car you're driving. It's a Lexus. And I don't see you, you know, I don't see you dressed very shabbily and your house is a nice house and you just came back from Florida. So why are you getting up and giving us speeches about materialistic things? And the answer is, I love nice things, but I don't care if I don't have them. If I have a beautiful suit and it gets ripped, I don't cry. If my car gets smashed, I couldn't care less. I like it, but it's not important. There's a very big difference. You're allowed to like nice clothing, and you're allowed to like to look good, and you're allowed to like to have a nice house. There's nothing wrong with that. But when that becomes important in your life, then it becomes an avoid desire. Then you're not allowed to have it anymore. It's like an alcoholic. You're allowed to have a drink. But if that drink is important, you must have it, then you're, in a, then you're diseased. A cigarette? It's not good for you. But if, someone, if I had a cigarette right now outside, I don't smoke, and I had a cigarette, it probably would cough my brains out. If I had a cigarette, it's not the end of the world. But if I need a cigarette, then I'm addicted. If I have a cell phone... And I text. There's nothing wrong with texting. But if I need to text every two minutes and look at my phone, then I'm sick. Then I'm addicted. Then I'm not allowed to have it. Then there's something wrong with me. So when the materialistic world becomes important, not that you like it, it becomes important. I must have the new iPhone. The new iPhone. I must have it. I can't use anything else. I've seen girls walk into the, to the telephone store. Right? I'm, I'm there to get a, a, a jack or a plug. And they're like, let me see the newest phone. And the guy's like, well, it's very expensive. The i4 is the same. No, no, no. I must have it. I'm like, you're sick. It's like a fix for a drug addict. I must have it. But I have another phone. It's a little cheap. No, no, that one. Only that one. Mommy, get me that one. I have to have that one. You're sick. Can you have one if you don't need it? You buy me an iPhone? Okay, big deal. I have it. I don't have it. It doesn't make a big difference. A girl came to my office the other day. I was on my phone. She goes, oh my God, I haven't, se- I haven't seen one of those in a long time. A flip phone. I'm like, Wallace, and I'm like, is it an antique? I sell it for like a lot of money. Like, what, you know? A flip phone. You don't have internet? I'm like, no. You mean, you mean, I can't kick you? I'm like, I'm shaming a gear. No, you can't kick me. She goes, no, no. If you have an iPhone, you can kick each other. I'm like, what is that? What does that mean? I don't, half of you don't know what it means. I don't know what it means either. Can I kick you later? I'm like, no. You can't kick me now and you can't kick me later. When you have to have something, 
becomes an Avaidazara. Now let her have it. You have to have a mink coat. You have to have a mink coat. Now let her have a mink coat. You want to have a mink coat? It's nice and warm and it's pretty. No problem. But you have to because she has it and she has it and she has it. Then it's an Avaidazara. Then, it, then it's something you're not allowed to have. If you want to have nice things, there's nothing wrong with it. But when it becomes important in your life, when it's just about copying the Joneses because she has it and they're driving a Mercedes, I have to have a Mercedes. I, you don't have money for a Mercedes. doesn't matter. We have to get it anyway. We'll borrow money. We have to. Then you're sick. Then it's an addiction. Then it's, a, it's the clothing that Yosef said to the Yitzhahara, I realize now that I have to take this off. It's not important to me anymore. And once it didn't become important to me anymore, Yitzhahara knew he lost. And he started screaming. He knew it was over. Yeah. It's a very deep war fight between this woman. It's not a fight just between a woman, a seducer, and a good-looking guy. And let me tell you how good-looking Yosef was. So the Medrash says that this Ashish Potifa was walking around sick. Sick. She wouldn't eat. She wouldn't sleep. And her chevra, her friends, who she hung out with, said to her, what is wrong with you? Why aren't you eating? Why aren't you sleeping? you got bags under your eyes. What's going on? And she said, I have this servant. He is so gorgeous. I have to be with him. And until I'm with him, I am sick. And they said, a Jew... On every, says the Medrash, you're crazy. There's something wrong in your head. We have Egyptian men that are much better looking. She said, really? Did you ever see my servant? He said, no. She said, come today for lunch. And you'll see my servant. And the Medrash says, they took a circle of chairs for all these women. And what they used to eat in the afternoon when it was hot were estrogen, like oranges, an estrog, right? A citron, like an orange. And she gave each woman an estrog and a knife. To cut it into slices. And she brought Yosef out. And she had on his neck a like irons to keep his head up so they could see his head. And the Medrash says that... The Gemara says, forget the Medrash. The Gemara says that they cut the tops of their fingers off. Without realizing that there was blood rushing down their hands. They had never seen a man that beautiful in their lives, says the Medrash. This is who you're dealing with. Do you understand? This is who you're dealing with. This is who, who walked out. I know it's beautiful woman in the world walked out because he realized that for that one moment that he's going to fall, he will lose everything that his father put into him and everything that he is. By Yimain, he said, I refuse to give up on myself because God doesn't give up on me. And because my father doesn't give up on me, how could I give up on me? This was unbelievable war I want to give you I'm going to leave you with a story and then I guess Rabbi Skase is probably going to be here any moment I want he's here okay so I want to leave you with this last story so there's these two Israelis although actually not two a whole Israeli unit that was in the Judean desert I don't know if you've ever been in Israel in the Judean desert outside of Yerushalayim but it gets in the summer it's 145 degrees in the shade it's impossible. The only people that live out there are the Bedouins. You, you, can't, you can't be there. And there was a bunch of terrorists out in the Judean desert. They had just thrown a bomb in Yerushalayim at a bus. This is a true story. I read this in the Jerusalem Post. And this Israeli unit was sent in there, into the desert, to, fi- to follow these terrorists. And they lost them. And two of the soldiers who were sent on a certain path, they, were, they, they got mixed up and they, they got separated from the whole unit and nobody could find each other. It's, it's very full of mirages and full of sand dunes and you can get lost in two seconds over there. So these two Israeli guys are totally have a little canteen of water and they're stuck in the middle of the desert. Two days they're separated from the... and they, they're out of water. And what happens in the desert when you're out of water is you start to hallucinate. You start seeing things that aren't real. So the two of them are on top of this huge sand dune and they're taking their helmets and put it on their guns so that maybe a helicopter will go by and see that, you know, that they're there. And one of the two of them was already high fever, hallucinating, and he tells his friend, you're not going to believe it. Hashem made a miracle. And at the bottom of the sand dune is a lake. Now his friend knew there's no lake in the middle of the Dane desert in the summer. But when you hallucinate, what you see is what you see, and nobody can tell you that it's not what you see. So this guy is telling his friend, and he's schlepping him, he's like, we got to go down, we got to go to the lake, 
We could jump in. We could drink the water. Come on, Chaim. Let's go. Chaim knows there's no lake. But he also knows that if his friend goes down to the bottom of the sand dune, that's where he's going to die. So he has to stop him. But you're not going to be able to stop him. He's going to beat you up. He sees a lake. But this guy was very, very smart. So he tells his friend who sees the lake, he says, I'll go with you on one condition. He says, if it's really a lake, if the sun is bright, blue sky, look at the lake. If it's really a lake, then there'll be a reflection in the water of the sun and the sky. If there's a reflection, we're going down. It's a lake. If there's no reflection, then it's sand. And you're just having hallucinations. Do you agree that if it's water, it reflects? Yes. Okay. Go look over the side of the sand dune and tell me if you see a reflection. If you do, we're going down. He looks and he turns to Chaim or whatever his name is and he says, it's weird. I'm looking at the lake and I just see water but I don't see the sun and I don't see the blue sky. There's no reflection. He says, of course, dummy, there's no reflection. Sand doesn't reflect. You're looking at sand and you're seeing water. And he stayed. And three hours later, a helicopter found him. And this soldier that was hallucinating wrote a thank you note in the Jerusalem Post. Actually wrote in the Yedir Achor note, which was translated into English in the Jerusalem Post, thanking his friend for saving him and not letting him go down to that lake that didn't exist. And how brilliant! The way he stopped them was, if it's water, it reflects. If it's not water, if it doesn't reflect, it's sand. And I read this story. And I said, this is this parsha this week. Before you do something, before you do something, look at what you're about to do. If it reflects God, if that's what Hashem wants, it reflects what you're about to do, God, do it! But if it doesn't reflect God, it's like, well, God really wouldn't be happy about me talking like this about this person or stealing, you know, doing this little business deal which is really not honest or talking to this guy that's married that I really shouldn't be doing or going on to certain sites in, on the internet I really shouldn't be going. But you know, you know I'm tired at the end of the day and I work so hard. I'm such a good girl and I just want to relax and I want to watch a movie so it's not very clean. But you know I need to relax. And, and yeah, it's not so bad. It's not the end of the world. It's not going to change me. Okay. Now let's take a look at it. Is Hashem going to be sitting next to me watching this movie with me? Is what He wants me to do? No. It's a mirage. It's wrong. It's sand. It's a satan. It's an hallucination. And that's what Yosef HaTzadik said to her at the end. You got all the excuses. You're beautiful. You're not married. We're going to have tzaddikim. I hear everything you're saying. Does God want me to sleep with you? For sure not. Even you are covering up your Abay Dezara. You're putting a sheet over his head so he shouldn't see it. So you know it's wrong. He said. It's wrong in the eyes of Hashem so I don't want to hear anything else. Bottom line, if the reflection is not of God and what I'm about to do, I don't see Yudke Vavke, I don't see God in the reflection... It's a mirage. And it's wrong. And the reward for Vayanas Achutza, that he ran away, when we came to the Yamsuf, and the whole Jewish nation was in danger of being wiped out, and the Yamsuf said, the Jews are no better than the Mitzrim, the Jews sin and the Mitzrim sin, and the Yamsuf said to Hashem, I am not splitting. Hayam Ra'a Vayanas. The ocean, the, the, the ocean saw something, and then it ran, and then it split. Says Rashi, Ma'arahayam. What did it see? Atzmois Yosef. The bones of Yosef. And the, the, the Vayanos, that Yosef ran out of that room. The reward for that was, that when the whole Jewish nation was about to be wiped out, it was stuck between water and the whole Egyptian army. Vayanos. The water had to run. Because if a human being had to run, and went against his nature, then the Yam had to run and go against his nature. A person making a decision in life to run and to leave that materialistic coat 
and just run away from that Avera, run away from that sin. The power of that person going against his nature, breaking nature, then you have a right if someone's sick with a disease and in the natural way the doctors are saying there's no way that we can help this person, there's no medicine that can save this person, you have a right to say to God, I broke my nature, that even though naturally this person can't be healed, I broke my nature, I'm asking you to break the nature of the world, you have a kayak, a strength, like no tzaddik in the world strength. If you break nature, then you have a right to ask God to break nature for you. What a kayak, what a strength, the whole Yamsov split, because Yosef ran out of that room. And the re- reason he ran out of that room was came. He was able to look in the water and say, I hear everything you're saying, the, at the end of the day, this is not God's reflection. And therefore, it's just a bunch of sand. And I don't want to have any part of it. And that's the lesson that we need to take from this week's Pasha. Whatever we do in life, wherever it is, even if you think you're right, just take a look at what you're about to do and say, is this what God wants? If he was sitting next to me when I do this, if he was sitting in the room with me right now, would I be watching this or listening to this or saying this? No? Then I have to run. I have to break my nature. If you have that strength, you'll be able to save so many Jews and the main person you'll be able to save is yourself. Um, I'd like to introduce Rabbi Skase. Could you ask him to come in for a minute? So what we're going to what we're going to do is every two weeks we're going to bring a speaker from Arnava in Brooklyn, Rabbi Skase, Rabbi Miller, Rabbi Lamb, Jackie Bitone. We're going to bring every two weeks a speaker from Arnava to come into Great Neck to speak. What we're doing is Arnava is sort of traveling. Great Neck and there's Muncie and there's Lakewood and we're, we're... you've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com